Uh, today I'm going to talk about uh, the scapegoat of uh, the Old Testament sacrifices and its relation to Jesus. Um, so the Old Testament talks about um, when it's laying down the sacrificial law, it talks about um, the Azazel or the scapegoat. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, the scapegoat and talk about how Jesus is our scapegoat and um, also how Jesus gave the sign of Jonah, uh, which uh, aspects of that uh, can also be tied into uh, the scapegoat um, being a type of Christ. Um, so the scapegoat comes from Leviticus 16, 5 through 10 and 20 through 22. So starting in verse 5. Says, and you shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering, and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented to the Lord before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. And verse 20 through 22 says, And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, Confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. So uh, there's a term that comes from this passage in the Hebrew, uh, the name Azazel. Uh, there has been a lot of confusion over history about what Azazel means. Um, according to the book of Enoch, uh, I guess it says that Azazel is a demon of some sort, um, the demon of the wilderness, uh, basically meaning that uh, bringing the scapegoat out to the wilderness uh, is offering a sacrifice to this demon. That I don't think is correct at all. Um, <laughs> and obviously the Book of Enoch is not particularly credible. Um, so uh, another option is that uh, the goat could, uh, it could be a literal term uh, for the scapegoat. Uh, it's actually, it appears to be a compound word of uh, two Hebrew words. As an azel. As in Hebrew means female goat and azel means entire remove. Uh, so basically the scapegoat could be, uh, the female goat who is, uh, used up, uh, or who is expended. The goat that is expended. Uh, so the translation scapegoat actually came from the Latin Vulgate. Uh, it wasn't translated as that until then. Um, they just kept the original Hebrew word, uh, I think all through the Greek scriptures. Um, 
but uh, yeah, so the Latin Vulgate was the first to use the term scapegoat, and that's where the English translations get that word. Uh, it came through the King James, which came from the Vulgate, and then trickled down through all the other English translations. Um, another interesting thing about this goat, um, if you look at uh, Jewish history, uh, the Mishnah tells us that uh, God uh, told them to cast it off a cliff in the wilderness um, and that it would be shattered before it reached the bottom. However, that doesn't appear in the actual God-given commands for the sacrifice. Um, so I think that that is probably a historically accurate account of what the Jews did. However, it was not what God said that they should do. Um, so God told them to release it into the wilderness in a place that was uninhabited. Uh, but he specifically told them to release it alive. The Mishnah, however, says that he told them to throw it from a cliff in the wilderness. Um, it even goes as far to say that it's an offering to Satan. Uh, an annual offering to appease Satan. Uh, that is, I think, a rather gross Jewish misinterpretation of what God said. Um, but that appears to be what they did through history. Uh, so the Jews were not doing what God told them to do with the goat. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the goat was supposed to be left alive. Uh, so a common, uh, a common, uh, thing to pull from this passage is that, uh, the idea that Jesus is our scapegoat. Uh, we often think of him as our sacrifice who is slain, uh, for our sin and takes our, he takes our sin upon us, uh, upon himself. Um, and, uh, but the scapegoat, uh, can also be a very good uh, picture of Jesus and what he did for us. Uh, in Hebrews 10, 1 through 18, says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then, who would not have ceased? For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and burnt, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, once he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that, 
from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. And then in 1 John 3, 4 through 6, uh, John says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So there is no place um, in scripture where Jesus is directly paralleled as the scapegoat from the Old Testament. However, uh, there are these passages which tell us that um, that he took our sin upon himself and that he carried it away. Um, so uh, also another thing is he was crucified outside the city. Uh, the scapegoat was also released outside the city. So Hebrews thirteen twelve says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So there are some parallels between Jesus and the scapegoat um, where uh, where Jesus um, is uh, he, he deals with our sin outside of the city um, and uh, he takes our sin upon himself and he carries it away um, so uh, he's essentially a substitute uh, sacrifice um, in that sense, where the scapegoat uh, took uh, our sins for us uh, and uh, was released or basically banished outside the gates of the city on our behalf. Um, so uh, another uh, thing that may seem unrelated at first is uh, the signing of Jonah. Uh, this actually I got a lot from Mr. Strauss's sermon. Uh, a few months ago, uh, I had not, uh, put all these connections together until he put them together. And I thought it was very interesting. Um, in Matthew 12, 39 through 42, uh, he says, but he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, the greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. In Matthew 16, 1-4, uh says that then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him asked what he would show them a, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatened. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
and he left them and departed. In Luke 11, 29 through 32, uh, says, and while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. It seeks for, it seeks a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the son of man will be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. So, here Jesus gave the Pharisees um, and the Sadducees uh, no sign other than the sign of Jonah. So, what was the sign of Jonah? Uh, the sign of Jonah was that uh, he was going to die for three days and rise again on the third day. Uh, just as Jonah uh, was swallowed by the great fish and for three days and then was spit out on shore on the third day. Uh, there are some other interesting deeper parallels as well, um, where um, this is where the idea of uh, Jesus descending into Sheol while he's dead comes from uh, Jonah. He makes a very strong connection between Jonah's experiences and his own when uh, he is about to die. Um, so one of those uh, experiences that Jonah stresses a lot is that uh, he was, uh, he was in the depths of Sheol uh, in Jonah two, one through six. Jonah says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over. me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. So this was a very big experience, uh, or a very big event in Jonah's experience in the belly of the fish. Uh, and it's likely that uh, Jesus would have been through a similar thing uh, in the grave uh, where we know he went to uh, to paradise to Abraham's bosom and he brought those uh, from there to heaven. However, it's likely from this that he also descended into Sheol. Uh, so something interesting about that is that um, if he descended into Sheol, um, well, something interesting, uh, the scapegoat, uh, the scapegoat could not return. That was a very important thing, uh, with the, uh, with that sacrifice. There was one man appointed to take that scapegoat out into the wilderness. Um, his job after that was to make sure that it never returned. Uh, the reason for that, uh, is because 
if the scapegoat returned, the uh, it would mean that the Israelites' sins had returned on themselves and that they were not sent away and taken care of. Uh, so that would uh, essentially signify, be a way of signifying God's rejection of their sacrifice. Now, this never happened, um, or it's not recorded that it happened. It likely would have been recorded if it did happen. But um, an interesting thing is that Jesus did return. Uh, he went, uh, he went away uh, down to depths of Sheol, and he returned. Uh, the significance of that, uh, I think, is that he did not just take our sins and carry them far away. And they're just still floating out there, likely never to return, but just out there. He actually went away and uh, he took care of them once and for all in return. Um, that's, I think, a very big difference between Jesus and the scapegoat of the Old Testament. Just as the sacrifices of the Old Testament only put off the Israelites' sins each year, um, and the scapegoat only took away the sins of that year out into the wilderness, Jesus took all of the sins that were put off by all those sacrifices, all the sins that would be committed, um, and he took them and he took them away like the scapegoat, but he actually disposed of them in return. Uh, I think that is a very important distinction between the two. Um, yeah, I think that's, yeah. So I guess the other, in, or a connection between uh, Jesus and the scapegoat is uh, if even though it wasn't God's command, if the Israelites cast the scapegoat off the cliff in the wilderness, um, that is kind of an interesting thing in parallel with Jesus uh, if he descended into Sheol, um, where they were both cast down into death. However, once again, Jesus returned, whereas the scapegoat did not uh, making Jesus' sacrifice obviously much more powerful and much more permanent than that of the scapegoat. Uh, I think that's all I had to say.